a series now. It's been, I think, four weeks on it. Uh, discipleship and uh, basic doctrines and uh, principles of the Christian life. And uh, I've enjoyed this study. I'm, I'm hoping others that have come on Wednesday night are. Um, we certainly have had a good attendance on Wednesday nights to uh, being involved in it, so that's been encouraging to me as a pastor. But um, more importantly, we are uh, working as a church to uh, go through a 14-lesson uh, basic doctrines of the Bible and principles of our faith and, and uh, our uh, living the Christian life. And uh, it's amazing to me uh, how many times people have been saved. Uh, I come across people that have been saved for many, many years and have never gone through a systematic study from Scripture of some of the basic tenets of our faith and to know why we believe what we believe. Not because of the preacher or because of a teacher, but because God's Word says it. And uh, one of the things here at our church that we want to make certain of is that we are teaching and preaching what the Bible says. And uh, we believe as Baptists that it is our sole authority of our faith and our practice. And so uh, we certainly want to try to uh, be an encouragement to folks. It is not too late to get started on it. Uh, we have about a 300 and some page workbook that each uh, family has. And if we need to get a few more in, we'll get a few more in for you. But we'd love to encourage you to come on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock and be a part of that study. And uh, it has been encouraging to me. Last week we studied uh, about salvation. And, uh, boy, it was an eye-opening study for uh, many folks. And uh, certainly we saw from Scripture uh, about our eternal security, once saved, always saved, and how the Bible teaches that very, very clearly in Scripture with numerous passages and uh, boy, it's such a joy and a peace to our hearts as we study those types of things and uh, looking forward to it. So I want to encourage you to come out at Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. If you've never been through a study like this, uh, I promise you it will be a help to you. It will strengthen your faith, and it will help you to be able to give an answer to those that may ask you that are out in the world. And I certainly don't mind a bit if somebody that you're talking to about the things of the Lord asks you a question that you don't know for you to say, well, I'd like you to talk to my pastor. I'll be glad to talk with him. And if I don't know, I'll let him know, hey, I don't know, but I'll find that out for you. And we'll, we'll figure this thing out from God's word. But I am very much concerned that we don't stay that way as a church. Uh, that everybody that sits in the pew of our church grows in the word of God. And at some point where we can start giving more answers. I was reading, um, I believe it was uh, uh, F.E. Marsh. Uh, recently, and uh, he had said uh, in one of his writings, uh, is either F.E. Marsh or A.W. Tozer, I can't remember which one now, uh, which author it was, and uh, just in the last week or so here, and he was making the observation that we're raising a generation in our churches that, to be real honest with you, uh, are not working diligently at knowing the Bible. And because of that, the, the writer, the author that I was reading said, we will be hard-pressed in this next generation, to give a defense against the, uh, the religion of Islam. Because I'll tell you this, they certainly know their material. And I think it's important, and it would behoove us as Baptists especially, but as Christians and children of God, that we do what the Bible says and study to show ourselves approved unto God, workmen that need not to be ashamed. It, the Christian life is not just about coming Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night and doing our Christian duty of attending a church service. But it is in growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ 
To know the Bible and the Word of God. And if you don't know, there's no shame in telling somebody, you know what, I don't know. But let's go to God's Word and find out. And I, I firmly believe this with all of my heart. And I hope you believe it too. That the Word of God, the Bible that we hold in our hands today, has the answer to every problem and every decision we have to make in life. I believe that with all of my heart. And if I didn't believe that, I'd find another book to believe in. Uh, I believe this to be the Word of God that has the answers for our life. And so I want to encourage you to come on Wednesday nights and get involved in that. And maybe uh, God will put something in our hearts to dedicate ourselves to studying the Scriptures, to being able to search out the Scriptures, and to be able to give an answer to every man, the reason of the hope that's within us, and be able to give an answer for our faith. We're in Matthew chapter 5 this morning. We'll begin in verse number 17. Just by way of review, uh, we are studying the life of Christ. We started this actually just right back before Christmas time. We started with the birth, the birth of John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, and then the birth of Christ. And we've been dealing with the first parts of his ministry. And we, get, we got to the Sermon on the Mount a few weeks ago. Last Sunday we took a break from it. I uh, felt very strongly impressed that we just needed to deal with the topic of salvation last Sunday morning and uh, certainly rejoice in the goodness of God to us that he gave us his own son to save us. And so we spent one week off from this study, but we'll jump back into it today, dealing again with the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. My goal is that we'll get to the point of the crucifixion and the resurrection by Easter Sunday, but that is a very ambitious goal at this point because we are not nearly close enough to that. So we may go beyond that a little bit, but uh, certainly it has been uh, important to me to see some of these things that we, many times we know about them, but we don't take time to study them and get everything out of them that we should. Let's look at several verses this morning, beginning in Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 17. Jesus says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, uh, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever, therefore, shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, shall the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, Ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way first, be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to, to the judge, and the judge deliver thee the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Father, we come to you this morning once again. I pray that you'll give discernment and guidance this morning, that our hearts will be open to the preaching of your word. 
And Father, that your Holy Spirit will guide us in all truth, that we'll be able to understand clearly what these verses are teaching to us, and that we would fully understand what you have in, in store for us as we study these passages together today. Father, if there's someone in this room that does not know for sure if they died right now that they would go to heaven, I pray that through the preaching of your word and the convicting of your Holy Spirit that they will see that need today, that they will get that matter settled before they leave here. Lord, it would be an absolute travesty to come to a church like this and to hear the word of God preached, to stand at the very threshold of eternity and then to turn and walk away. And I pray that there would be uh, the convicting of your Holy Spirit, that he would have free reign and free course in the hearts of men. And Lord, we ask this morning that you would do something that I cannot do, and that is work in the hearts of men, draw them to the points that you would want them to be at, that you would draw them to the place of decision, and then, Father, that we would be willing and yielded to the leading of your Holy Spirit, that we would already say, yes, Lord, my answer is already yes. Bless all the remainder time that we have here together this morning. Fill us with your power, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We find a very uh, difficult passage of Scripture for some folks as we get to this portion of the Sermon on the Mount. We've just heard him talk about the fact that we are salt and light and that we are a city that is set on a hill. And we spent some time dealing with that and saying this, that if you are a Christian today, you've been saved. Whether you like it or not, you are a city. It is set on a hill and it cannot be hid. And you are a testimony either of good for the cause of Christ or you are a testimony of evil for the cause of Christ. Because you do not have the choice. Once you're saved, the Bible teaches quite clearly you are a city that is set on a hill and it cannot be hid. That's what the Bible teaches. But we also have the light of God in us. And the fact that Jesus uh, died on the cross allows us the opportunity when we get saved to have the Holy Spirit of God to come and live inside of us. And there is a light that is there. And it says, neither do men light a uh, candle and put it under a bushel, but instead they put it on a candlestick so that it can give light to the whole house. And uh, there certainly is a lot of theology in the old little chorus, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Why in the world would we take the light of the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the greatest news that man has ever heard, that we have in our hand, why would we ever take it and hide it from others? Why would we not rather take it and shed it abroad to the whole world to find everybody we can and say, let me tell you how good God is. He's so good that he loved you and he gave himself for you so that you don't have to die and go to hell. And we talked about that two weeks ago. As Jesus gets done challenging those during the Sermon on the Mount with this idea of being salt and being light and being a city that is set on a hill, he now comes to this point, as he says in verse number 17, Think not that I am come to destroy the law. Now understand that up until this time, the nation of Israel was serving under what was called the Old Testament law or the law of Moses. And uh, that the religious leaders of the day, the priests, the high priests, and then in these particular days, people that were called scribes and Pharisees, they were kind of cohorts together in it, uh, in dealing with uh, some of the religious practices of the day. They prided themselves on uh, keeping the law to the letter of the law. And uh, so much so that I'm told that... Uh, the teaching that Jesus gives a little bit later about going the second mile. You remember when he talks about that? If a man compelled thee to go a mile, go with him twain. And they were so uh, precise on 
keeping the letter of the law, then I, I understand from uh, reading a few things that there were certain people there that would go to uh, different areas of town where they were likely to be compelled to go a mile, and they would literally pace off an exact mile and put a marker. And so that they would carry that burden for that one mile, and then they would just literally drop it there and say, I've met the law. But they were that emphatic about keeping the letter of the law. And we find the scribes and the Pharisees were such as this. And Christ many times commends them for what they were outwardly. There's no time that I find in Scripture where God gets on to them for what they did outwardly. But he certainly did not like what they were on the inside, did he? There was an issue of uh, hollowness or what we call a hollow Christian or an emptiness inside. And so often our preaching and our teaching is on making the outside conform to a particular mold. And as I said last week, I'm, I, I'm hesitant many times in, in, in how we approach the lists that God gives in, in the Scriptures, such as the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, goodness, faith, temperance. All of these things are certainly things God wants us to have in our lives. But the fear is this, in the day and age that we live, that we will outwardly try to put these things on. That we will go through like a smorgasbord and say, I'll have a little bit of that, and I'll have a little bit of that, and I'll have a little bit of that. And I'm going to try to appear outwardly so that men can see me and glorify me. And that's not at all what the Bible speaks of. The Bible speaks of the fact that it's the fruit of the what? Spirit, whose fruit is it? It's His, not mine. But it's got to be portrayed in my life. That means I've got to be fully yielded to Him. That means I've got to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit in my life. And, and what comes out on the outside has to be rooted in the heart. And then God can be glorified. Then people will look at your life and they'll see your good works. But as He says in the book of Matthew... They'll glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Amen. Amen. Jesus comes in this place, and he says, I'm not come to destroy the law that was kept by these scribes and these Pharisees. But look what he says here. I'm not come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am come, I'm not come to destroy, but to what? Fulfill. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law. Now, we need to speak a minute on this, and then we'll move on to the other verses what the purpose of the law was. The, the law, according to the book of Hebrews and the book of Galatians, was never intended to save a man. Because the truth of the matter is, man could never keep the law completely, could he? It was impossible. There's only one person that's ever been born uh, of a woman that was able to keep the law in all of its points. He was tempted in all points, like as we are, and the Bible says, yet without sin. And that was our precious Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one who could do it. So he was come to fulfill the law. The only thing that fulfilling the law did was prove to us that he was the Son of God. He met all the credentials. There was nothing about him uh, that was uh, different from what the Bible said the Messiah was going to be. And as such, being proven to be the Son of God, he then becomes a worthy sacrifice that, according to the book of Hebrews, could be sacrificed once for all. He didn't have to go every year and be sacrificed. He was able to pay the price once. All the sacrifices before him were simply shadows, pictures of the coming Messiah who would be worthy because he would be perfect. He would be the Son of God dying in our place. And so he comes not to destroy the law, 
but to fulfill the law. The law then becomes our, what the Bible refers to in the book of Romans as our schoolmaster. How would we know we were sinners if there was no law? It's there to show us our sinful condition. I've said this before. A man cannot be saved until he first realizes he's a sinner. He must be lost. Otherwise, there's no reason or anything to be saved from. And so a man must come to a decision in his heart that I have fallen short of God. And that's what the law does for us. Aren't you glad for the law today? It shows us our sinful condition. You say, Brother Greg, why would I be glad about that? Because it allows us to get to the point where we can say, I'm going to trust Christ as my Savior and I can want to be saved. It brings us to the point of salvation. It brings us to the point of conviction. And so we find here that Jesus does not come to destroy the law. Although many at this time were starting to look at him and say he's come to destroy everything we've ever talked about because he's starting to teach things that we've never held to. He says in verse number 18, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. So it's there. It's still, even to this day, in this dispensation of grace, the fact that we are no longer under the law, bound under the law, but we are now under grace, we still use the law to show us our sinful condition. And so we find here as we get to verse number 19, he says this. And this is the puzzling part that I think is very, very clear if we understand it in fully. He says, Whosoever therefore shall break one of the least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. Now follow with me and here's what he's saying in this verse. A man that will break any part of the law, it does not matter if it's what we would call a little white lie. It doesn't matter if it's one of the small things as far as from a human perspective. And by the way, let me just say this. Uh, there are certain things that God calls an abomination. But can I tell you this? Sin is sin in the eyes of God. Whether it is what we would call a little sin or a big sin. And I've heard even Christian folks say, well, a little white lie won't hurt anybody. Yes, it will. It nailed my Savior to the cross. Just as much as a murderer did. And so we find that even if we offend in the least of these, and notice what it says here, even though we offend in the least of these, and shall teach men so, meaning what? We're teaching them the, the law, okay? Teaching them the law. That's the context that we're in here. So if we break it, and we go out and we teach it, we're not living what we're teaching, the Bible says that man will be the least in the kingdom of heaven. Who is he speaking to here primarily or speaking about here primarily according to this passage? We're dealing with basically the scribes and the Pharisees. We're going to see that in the next verse here. Those that would teach the law, but they offend in one point. Some of the small areas. And then he says in verse number 19, So, he, uh, so shall he be called the least in the kingdom of heaven, but whosoever shall do... And teach them. The same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now I'm going to be the first one to tell you this. None of us are going to be perfect, are we? We're still going to sin. We're still going to fail God. But let me just say this. There is a difference between a man who says, I know I'm going to sin, so why try? I'm just going to go out here and live the way I want to live. Now I'm going to be a Christian I'm going to tell people I love the Lord. I'm going to tell the people I'm saved. But hey, it's no big deal how I live. According to Christ it is. 
There are those then that have a heart that seek after trying to do what's right from the inside out, and they, they teach the Word of God, and they believe the Word of God, and they do everything in their power to live by the Word of God. And those are the ones that Christ is going to give uh, the, the, the well-done-thou-good-and-faithful servant to. Does it make a difference? Absolutely. The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? What is our heart? We go out here and we tell people about the things of the Lord. Are we living it? Are we doing what the Bible calls taking heed to it? Or is the Bible just a bunch of teachings that we throw in the back of our filing cabinet of our minds that we're ready to hand out when it's convenient for our purposes to other people? I think we live in a day and age where so many times that seems to be the case. So many times we don't get down on our knees and begin reading this book saying, God, I'm failing you in that area and I need that area fixed in my life. I don't want to just say it and, and live my life as, as if you don't even matter or your word doesn't matter. Lord, I want to live my life according to your word. And by the way, there's something to be said by living our lives by the principles of God's word rather than the opinions of man of what's right and what's wrong. We live in a day and age where the world is crazy. The Bible says, Woe unto them that calleth evil good and good evil. And we're living in those days. We're living in the days where our society is calling good evil and evil good. They're calling people who want to kill babies in the act of abortion as being normal. And then they're going after somebody who prays in the White House as our vice president and calling him mentally ill. There's something wrong with that. I don't mean to become political this morning, but our world is in a topsy-turvy mode right now. And they're saying, hey, the things that are, that are evil, those things are acceptable. But if you hold to things that are good, then you're, you're deviant. You don't fit into society. And sad to say, a lot of Christians follow after that philosophy. We live outwardly, but we don't live inwardly. We don't, we don't deal with the heart issue. We take the Bible and we seem to slap it around and throw it around when it fits our purposes to, to win an argument with somebody. But boy, if it ever came back home to rule, rule in the roost of our hearts, boy, there'd be a problem there, wouldn't it? The psalmist said this, incline my heart. Incline my heart. Lord, I may fail you. But boy, my heart is to pursue after you. He said, the psalmist said this, as the heart, H-A-R-T, meaning the deer, as the heart panteth after the water book, so panteth my soul after thee, O Lord. O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto, not just by learning it, but by taking heed thereto. According to thy word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Oh, that God's people would come back to God's word again and say, It's not just something I need to know that I can use out here to, to accomplish what I want in life, but that I would take God's word and say, Lord, I want it to become a part of me. I don't want to be guilty of going out here and telling people about the Bible and I don't do it. 
But I want to live after it. You may be able to look at my life and say, Well, Brother Greg, there are some areas in your life I see that aren't according to Scripture. Well, there certainly could be. But that's certainly not my desire. Just as anyone can look at any of our lives, but I wonder, what is our desire? Do we long to take heed and to do God's Word? I, when I get to heaven, I, I long to hear Christ say, well done. I may not be as talented as some people. I may not be as gifted in some areas as some people. But I'll tell you this, all of us can be just as faithful as anybody. All of us can hold to God's Word and live uh, with a heart seeking to live after God's Word as much as anybody. And I'm thankful God gives approval to those things. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living what? Sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your extraordinary service. Just reasonable, isn't it? That's just the norm. That's just what's expected. You, you haven't even gone above and beyond the call of duty in the Christian life at that point. You've just done what is acceptable. Oh, that we would be people who would take God's Word and embrace it and love it and cherish it and say, I want it to be a part of my life. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in this law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit and his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but they're like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the congregation of the righteous. Oh, that we would love the Word of God. That we would cherish it. That it would become a part of our lives. We see two people that are contrasted here in the Sermon on the Mount. We see the one that teaches the Scriptures but don't do it. And then we see the one that teaches the Scriptures but they do it. And God has a response to each of them, doesn't He? Which one are we? Which one are we? I wish I could say I'm the one that does it all the time. But I'm going to be real honest with you. When I grew up in a pastor's home, there were days that I learned to live the Christian life because mom and dad said I had to. And there was no part of the heart involved in it. And oh, we've got to be careful of this. Parents, you've got to be careful. I'm not saying you don't teach your kids to live right outwardly, but boy, you better be dealing with the heart too. You better be on your knees praying for your young people. You better be showing them by way of example the way a godly person ought to be living. There's a reason why many, many times we come to the altar and we make decisions and the next few weeks or months later we find ourselves right back where we started. It's because we've made things up here but they've never gotten to here. 
The heart is not what it should be. We've never gotten to the place where we said, Lord, I'm willing to take this book and I'm willing to make it a part of me. To live by it. To follow after it. Not because I have to. Not because of just strict obedience. But can I tell you this? It's a whole lot easier to follow after it when we do it because we love Him. Makes a big difference, doesn't it? The motivation. There are times I obeyed my parents when I was a kid, but I sure didn't like it. You know, the greatest joy I had was when I did things for my mom and dad, and I made the choice that I'm going to do it happily because I loved my mom and dad. I remember getting up one morning and coming out in the kitchen, and there were some dishes in the sink, and my mom was still in bed. And I'll never forget this. I remember the first morning I did this as a little kid, probably nine, eight, nine, ten years old, I thought, you know, I'm going to do those dishes before she gets out of bed. She never asked me to do that. And, man, I had the biggest grin on my face. I couldn't wait for Mom to get up. I was walking around the house, had a big old smile on my face. I loved doing that for my mom. But I'll tell you, those other nights at the dinner table when Dad said, Greg, go do the dishes, I didn't really care for those that much. And wouldn't it be wonderful if we could get to this place of living the Word of God Not because we have to, but because we get to. We love Him. It's it's the thrill of our lives. Makes a difference, doesn't it? The Bible says in verse number 19, look with me if you will, Whosoever therefore shall break one of the least of these commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. I find that this verse is telling us a very similar thing that's illustrated later in Scripture. There's a story that Christ gives of the rich young ruler who comes to him, he asks Christ what he has to do to be saved. And Jesus gives him several things. He says, keep the commandments. And the man said, I've done that from a child. And then Jesus said, go and sell all that thou hast and give to the poor. And the man walked away. And we, re- we sorrow in that as we read that story. But I want you to understand this, that Christ was not telling the rich young ruler that you can earn your way to salvation. What he was saying is, there's got to be something that you trust in other than the way that you have lived your life and the things that you have done. Those things will not get you there. And the young man saw that very clearly and very vividly as Christ brings both of these issues to to bay and says, you must do something more than this. There's got to be something more. No wonder Christ taught that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. He was not speaking of the difficulty of it, was he? If you read later on in that passage, you'll find the disciples saying, then how do we get to heaven? He said, with men it is what? Impossible. He was not speaking of the difficulty of a rich man to get to heaven. He was speaking of the impossibility of a rich man to get to heaven. Trusting in his riches. But with God, 
All things are possible. How does that rich man get to heaven? By God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And he gets to this passage in Matthew chapter number 5, and he says, unless your righteousness exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. Well, wait a minute. Let's, let's stop and think about this for a moment. The scribes and Pharisees prided themselves in keeping every part of the law. But there was something missing, wasn't there? When Jesus rebuked the scribes and the Pharisees, he called them hypocrites. He said, woe unto you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Outwardly you're clean, but inwardly you're full of dead men's bones. He was not speaking of the outward righteousness, but the righteousness of the heart. It had to be more than what the scribes and the Pharisees were doing. It had to be beyond the outward. And we get to verse number 20, and he says, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Some people read that verse, and they say, Then I've got to be better than the scribes and Pharisees, and that's a proof text why we earn our way to heaven. You don't earn your way to heaven. Because the, the only way you can be better than the scribes and Pharisees is if your heart was righteous. But what does the Bible say about our heart? It's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? How then in the world can we get our hearts to be righteous? I like this. The Bible says that Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. It wasn't Abraham's righteousness. Is the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we get to the place where we say, God, there is not one thing in my life that I can do to earn my way to heaven. I can't have a clean enough life, a holy enough life, a righteous enough life to earn my way to heaven. We know that from Scripture, don't we? All of our righteousnesses are as what? Filthy rags. How then do we get righteous? There's one that fulfilled the law. Didn't we just read that? One. And he's given us the opportunity of saying, Lord, I'm trusting you. As Abraham put his faith in Christ, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. So when you and I put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the book of Hebrews says that he puts all of that on his account. And when God looks at Greg Boer, when he looks for my heart, you know what he sees? The heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, Greg Boer exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Not by what he's done, but because of the faith that he put in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the only way that our hearts can become righteous. The Bible uses this word, imputed righteousness. It means a righteousness that we've not earned. It's been placed on our account. It's been given to us. No wonder Romans chapter number 6 and verse number 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. 
Why? Because He gives us His righteousness. He gives us His righteousness. And except we exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, we will not enter into the kingdom of God. Unless we get to the place where we don't trust what we can do outwardly, but only in what Christ can do inwardly, we cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That agrees with every other thing we read in Scripture. For by grace are you saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We don't pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We don't live a certain life in order to earn our way to heaven. We simply let go of our life and say, God, I can't do it. If I'm going to make it to heaven, I must trust you. We've got to give it to Him. He goes on to say, verse 21, You've heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of judgment. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without cause will be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall lay his, uh, uh, shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Jesus begins at this point in the message. We're going to look at him a lot more in detail next week. He begins giving one thing after another that literally takes the philosophy and the mindset of what was in the world in that day, and by the way, in the day and age even that we live, and he flips it on its head and says, You've heard this, but let me tell you what it really is. This is it. We're going to start looking at those next week. Let's stand together with heads bowed, please, and eyes closed. Father, we pray that you'll bless the message this morning. Well, Father, it's been a rather simple message. Lord, we've dealt with three things here that I believe were very, very critical. That you wanted those that were listening to you as you presented this sermon and these teachings. You wanted them to understand them very clearly. Father, there is a danger of knowing the Word of God and speaking the Word of God, sharing the Word of God and yet not doing them. And then lest we get to the point of saying, well, I'm speaking the Word of God and I'm doing them, lest we trust that to get us to heaven, then you go on to say that it's not even that that's going to get us to heaven. It's got to exceed that. It's got to be beyond what we do. It's got to be beyond what even the scribes and the Pharisees were able to accomplish in their outward life. Father, the only thing that that can be is the change of heart. We are no longer trusting in what we do. We trust in what you have already done for us. Lord, if there's someone here this morning that's never been saved, maybe they've trusted in the things that they're doing. Maybe they're trusting in the fact that they go to church. Or maybe they're trusting in the fact that they've been raised in a Christian home. Or maybe they're trusting in the fact that they've done certain things in their life. But they've never trusted fully taken their hands off of their life and said, Lord, I'm trusting you and you alone to take me to heaven. Father, maybe they need to get that matter settled today. Maybe there are some Christians today that the truth of the matter is we have a good head knowledge of Scripture, but we don't take heed to it. We don't listen to it. We don't put it into practice in our lives. Father, we have a tendency, it seems like, to coddle our personal sin 
to realize that there is a way you want us to live, but we've done it for so long and we've justified it so many ways that really our conscience is not even bothered by it anymore. But Lord, there does there is a difference in how you view us. I pray that you'd help us to yield our lives living sacrifices for you. To lay them down on the altar and, the Father, to take our will. And as the psalmist said, oh, that my will would be thy will. That my way would be thy way. Oh, I pray that you'd help us to become a people who seek after you. That take heed to your word. Live according to it. Bless the invitation this morning. And, Father, speak to hearts as we cannot. I pray that you would move in a very special way that your will and way would be done in this service. We pray that you're blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. With heads bowed, please, and eyes closed. We're not